Well, happy Easter, everybody. Uh, you guys know the old call and response, right, for Easter morning. He is risen. He is risen. Nice. How does it feel to say that? Feels good, right? It feels good for me when I say it. Um, but this morning I want to recognize that for some of us, uh, when we say that, he is risen indeed, we might feel a little bit like we're trying to convince ourselves. Um, some of us may be thinking, well, is this really true? You know, is this really true that a guy came back from the dead? I mean, I want to believe that, but it's kind of hard to believe something like that. Now, Easter and Christmas are probably the two times of the year where church has more people in attendance who either don't believe in Jesus or aren't really sure if they believe in Jesus than any other time of the year. Um, some people come just because it's tradition to go to church on those days. Uh, some people come because they have a family that likes to go to church on those days, and they want to keep peace with the family, and they also want to eat some good food later, and so they go to church earlier in the, in the day. Um, and so I have to imagine that today, in churches all across the country and across the world, there are people who are hearing a crowd of people say, he has risen indeed, and they're thinking, <clears throat> this kind of feels like a cult meeting. <laughs> because for some people, hearing he has risen, he has risen indeed, sounds like unsubstantiated miraculous claim. Unsubstantiated miraculous claim indeed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> or it's that, it, you, know, might, you might as well be saying, we have been visited by aliens. We have been visited by aliens indeed. <laughs> and for those people, they're thinking, you know, I'm going to need a little bit more than just an indeed in order to buy this. Now, I don't know if there's anyone here this morning who feels that way. Um, but since today there are an unusual number of people in churches who probably do feel that way, uh, I want to use this morning to talk about the evidence for the resurrection that goes beyond just us affirming it out loud. Um, the evidence that goes beyond just a group of people declaring he is risen indeed. Uh, because I do believe that there is significant uh, compelling evidence for the reality of the resurrection. Now, before we get going, I want to start with an admission, um, which is that there is absolutely no way that I can prove to you with certainty that Jesus rose from the dead. I can't do it. And even if I could do it, I'm sure I could not do it in a half an hour. Uh, there's just no way. Uh, the fact of the matter is, when it comes to believing in Jesus, rational argumentation, evidence, and logic is only going to get you so far. Uh, I like to compare it a little bit to if you're deciding to marry somebody. Okay, if you're deciding to marry somebody, you can look at the evidence of the kind of person that they are. Um, but when it comes to proving to yourself that this is the right person for you, or proving to yourself that this person will be faithful to you for the rest of your life, you cannot do that. Rational evidence and logic is only going to get you so far. At some point, you have to take a leap of faith. Right? And the same is true with believing in Jesus. Evidence, logic, that can get you to a certain place, but 
eventually it requires a leap of faith. You'll always be able to rationalize, you know, maybe this isn't true for sure. They, they, that option will always be open to you, okay? So just know that from the start. But um, there is compelling evidence, I believe, out there for the reality of the resurrection. And I think it's worth talking about. I think it's worth talking about for those of us who are curious if there is any evidence at all. And for those of us who already believe in the resurrection, it's valuable because, um, you know, we want to be able to communicate with people who don't believe in the resurrection and have something to offer. And just for ourselves, it's part of loving God with our minds. We're told to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we don't want to neglect any part of that. So that's what we're going to do this morning. All right, so let's say a quick prayer, and then we'll get into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for this special morning. And we thank you for this uh, crazy, mysterious event that took place about 2,000 years ago. Uh, we pray that this morning, as we reflect on what happened, Lord, uh, that as we look at the evidence, you would uh, make it more clear to us uh, just how remarkable it was. Uh, we pray that the reality of the, of the resurrection would become more evident to us regardless of where we are on the faith spectrum. Uh, we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I have, I have four, uh, four reasons to propose this morning for believing in the reality of the resurrection. And the first one we're going to start with is the one I'm most excited to talk about, and we're going to stay in it for a little while. The other three will move through quicker. So if you feel like, man, this sermon is going to last forever, don't worry. Uh, but the first one, first reason to believe in the reality of the resurrection is because the resurrection accounts have a genuine quality to them. Now, you might be thinking, wait, well, there's a guy who comes back from the dead, and he, like, mysteriously disappears and reappears. That doesn't seem very genuine to me. And I have to admit that yes, the miraculous stuff is hard to believe. That's part of the whole point. That's why we're talking about this this morning. Uh, but the reason I say that they have a genuine quality to them is because if you were one of the disciples and you wanted to fabricate a story about how your crucified rabbi came back from the dead, I promise you that the resurrection accounts are not the kind of accounts that you would write what we have in the Bible, you would write something very different. Here's why I say this. Now, if I were one of the disciples and I wanted to convince people of the resurrection, my fabricated story would probably look something like this. And I think most of our fabricated stories would look something like this. We would say, Sunday morning I went to the tomb to pay my respects, but I was shocked to see that the stone was rolled away and the guards had fled in fear. And I looked inside the tomb and there was Jesus alive and well. And he said, come, let's go and tell the others that I have risen. So a couple of things there. Notice, I would have the disciples be the first people to see Jesus, right? Because why not? This is our story. This is our account of, of the resurrected Jesus. We should be the first ones to see him, right? And I would have uh, Jesus be first seen when he's in the tomb, right? Because if Jesus, if, if, if the disciples or somebody goes to the tomb and it's empty, somebody could always say, oh, well, the body was just taken away. So it makes more sense to say, I went to the tomb and there was the risen Jesus there, right? If we're making up the story, that's what we would say. 
Um, but neither of those things is what actually happens in the resurrection accounts. So here's what Luke's account says. Uh, this is Luke 24. This is the main passage that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Luke 24, starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Okay. So, in Luke's account here, and this is true in all of the Gospels, other people see Jesus before the disciples. Um, and Jesus is never seen in the tomb. The risen Jesus is never seen inside of the tomb. So, my point being, if you were making up the story, this is not the kind of story you would make up. And it's also definitely not the kind of story that you would make up uh, if you were a first century Jewish man, because in that time, the testimony of women was not considered trustworthy. I know that's stupid, uh, but that's the way it was. And yet, all four of the Gospels describe the first witnesses to the empty tomb as women. All four of them. And not only that, but three of the four Gospels tell us clearly that women were the first ones to actually see the risen Jesus. So not just the empty tomb, but the risen Jesus as well. So, again, if you were making up this story, this is not the kind of story that you would make up. Now, if we continue on in Luke's account, the next thing we hear about is a very strange story. It's a very strange story where the risen Jesus mysteriously appears to two men who are walking on the road to Emmaus. Uh, and these two people don't even realize that they're talking with the risen Jesus until they actually sit down after their journey and have dinner with him. Um, and then all of a sudden, it clicks for them. They go, oh. This is Jesus, which is kind of funny because the whole way they've been talking about Jesus, they've been talking about Jesus to Jesus, but they haven't realized that they're talking to Jesus, not until they actually have dinner. Now, if I was making up this story, first of all, I wouldn't even bother talking about these random guys on the road to Emmaus, right? Because the disciples still haven't seen Jesus at this point. I would want to talk about the disciples, the main, main characters in the story, right? Uh, at this point, they haven't seen him. And even if I did make up a story about these unknown guys on the road to Emmaus, I, I'd have them recognize Jesus right away, right? Because by not having them recognize Jesus right away, skeptical people can look at this and go, wait, 
well, maybe actually wasn't Jesus, and that's why they didn't recognize him, right? So again, if you were making up this story, this is not the kind of story that you would make up. And then, what comes next really clinches it for me that this cannot just be some made-up, fabricated account. Uh, Luke tells us that after the guys Jesus talked to on the road of Emmaus realize who he is, Jesus disappears. Now again, if I was making up the story, I, don't, I wouldn't say that, but that's, that's not the detail I want to focus on. What I want to talk about is what we're told next. It says in uh, Luke 24, 33 through 34, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, so they went to the disciples, to the eleven. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Okay, did you catch that? So the guys from Emmaus go to find the disciples and tell them that they, they've seen Jesus, but when they get there, the disciples already believe that Jesus is risen. Now, not because of the women, right? When the women were talking, it sounded to them like nonsense. But because Peter, Peter had an encounter with the risen Jesus. Um, it says Simon, but in case you don't know, Simon is another name for Peter. Now, if you're like me, right now you're thinking, wait a second, when did that happen? Are you kidding me? When did the risen Jesus appear to Peter? Where's that story? Remember, the last time we heard from Peter, Peter ran to the tomb after the women told, talked to him, and he ran there, and he looked inside, and he just found some strips of linen lying there, and he went away confused, right? And then we moved on to the story of the people from going to Emmaus. So at some point in between this event where Peter goes away confused, and now Peter actually saw the risen Jesus but we're not told anything about it. We don't get the details. Why would we not get the details? Why do we get the details about these nobodies from Emmaus, but we don't hear anything about Peter? Isn't that weird? I want to know what, what that conversation was like between Peter and Jesus, um, but we're not told in this gospel, and we're actually not told in any other gospel either. Now again, if I were making up this story, I wouldn't just say, the Lord appeared to Simon right, after some nobodies from Emmaus showed up. I would describe that encounter, because I mean, seriously, it is just bad storytelling not to tell about that encounter. Again, if you were making up this story, this is not the kind of story you would make up. Do you want to know my theory for why we don't hear about uh, the risen Jesus and Peter's first encounter together? It's not actually in, in scripture, but this is my best guess. I think it was just too personal for Jesus to share. I mean, for Peter to share. Um, because remember, the last thing that Peter did <laughs> was deny Jesus three times, right? So can you imagine what that reunion must have been like? It must have been a very emotional reunion. And I suspect that after Peter had that encounter with Jesus and he went and shared it with the disciples, he showed up and he did something like, I, I saw him. The women, they, they, they weren't just making it up. It's true. He's alive. But beyond that, he probably didn't give any of the details because it was just a little too raw for him. 
that moment. You know, sometimes if we have a very profound experience with God, something that really touches our souls, it feels cheap or weird to just go around and tell everyone about it, right? So, and I think that's what's happening here. Because we already know that we can have insight. Whoever is writing this has insight into Peter's mind, right? Because earlier they, they said that Peter went away confused after finding the linens in the tomb. So presumably this person would have insight into Peter's experience, his encounter with Jesus, unless Peter didn't share it. And we can see there's a good reason for why Peter might not have shared it, right? <clears throat> so what I want us to see through this example uh, is that when we view this account as a story of real people having real experiences, it makes sense. But if we try to view it as something that was just fabricated in order to deceive people, it seems haphazard and counterproductive. It just seems weird. So, um, if you were making up a story, this is not the kind of story you would make up. Now, in case you're wondering, Luke does eventually tell us that all 11 of the disciples see the risen Jesus. So if you're starting to get really skeptical because you're thinking, wait, did Jesus even appear to the rest of the disciples? He did. It happens eventually. It just doesn't happen in the order that you would expect if you were making up the story. So this is not the kind of story that you would make up if you were making up a story, but it is the kind of story that could actually be true. Okay, so uh, those are a few reasons why the resurrection accounts seem like genuine recollections rather than fabricated accounts. And there's a lot more details that we could look at, but we gotta keep moving, we don't have all day. So we're gonna move on to uh, the second main reason to believe in the reality of the re resurrection, uh, which is because we can be very confident that the tomb was empty. We can be very confident that the tomb was empty. Now, interestingly, this is something that historians tend to agree on, whether they are Christian or not, that on that first Easter morning, the tomb was actually empty. Uh, now, there's many reasons for that, but let me explain one reason real quick. Uh, in Matthew 28, there is a very interesting passage that tells us that a rumor circulated among the Jews for a long time that said that the, the, the disciples had stolen Jesus' body. That's uh, Matthew 28, 11 through 15. So you can look that up on your own sometime if you want. Okay, a rumor was circulating that the disciples had stolen Jesus' body, according to Matthew. So let me ask two questions. Two questions for you. The first one, does Matthew have a good reason to make that up if it's not true? I don't think so. If Matthew says a rumor was going around that the disciples had stolen the body, I think there's probably a very good chance that there actually was a rumor going around that the disciples had stolen the body. Because what would Matthew gain by making that up, right? That's like a guy saying, there's a rumor going around that I cheated on my wife, right? Why would a guy say that rumor existed unless it actually existed? There would be no reason to do that. So does Matthew have a good reason to make up this rumor if it's not true? Doesn't seem like it, right? Now, second question, follow-up question. Would a rumor like that have any reason to exist if the tomb wasn't actually empty? Again, I don't think so. <laughs> um, 
that rumor would be only be necessary if on Easter morning the tomb was empty. Because otherwise, people could just go to the tomb and prove that there was a body in there, and there would be no reason for this rumor. So we have good reason to believe that the tomb was actually empty. And that's just one reason, okay, a reason that we're deriving from what the Bible says. Uh, but it's a strong reason. And as I said, most historians are in agreement on this. Okay, now, you might say, well, even if we can be confident that the tomb was empty, that doesn't mean that Jesus actually rose from the dead. You know, maybe the rumors actually were true. Maybe the disciples really did steal the body, right? It's a, it's a legitimate objection. But here's what we have to remember. If the disciples actually stole the body, that requ requires us to believe a couple things. And there are a couple things that are extraordinarily difficult to believe. Uh, the first thing is we have to believe that the resurrection accounts were mostly fabricated. And as we just talked about a little while ago, I mean, like, we, like I said, these are not the kinds of stories that you would make up if you were making up stories. So there's that problem. Uh, and then the second thing that we're forced to believe if the disciples stole the body is that we have to believe that the disciples were knowingly spreading a lie. If the disciples stole the body, they knew the resurrection was a lie. They made it all up. They were knowingly spreading falsehood, right? Now, throughout history, many people have knowingly spread lies. So you might say maybe the disciples were like that, right? Um, I think of a guy who I see sometimes uh, on television late at night, and he's selling his miracle spring water. And he says, if you send me money, I'll send you my miracle spring water. And if you use the miracle spring water, then all of your financial debts will be paid off, and you'll be restored to, to physical health. And this guy, I'm not going to say his name, but uh, back in the 80s, he was investigated, and it was discovered that at his rallies, he would wear a headset, and his wife would talk to him from behind in some back room, and she would feed him information about the people he was praying for. So the people he was praying for thought that he had this divine revelation from God, but he was actually just wearing an earpiece. And now this guy is back, and he's on TV, and he's selling his miracle spring water. And when I see him on TV, I think, there is a man who is knowingly lying to people. He's lying, and he knows he's lying. So you might think, okay, are the disciples like that guy? Right? Could the disciples have been like that guy? But here's the thing that makes that guy and the disciples so different, is that that guy makes money off of what he does. That guy, back in the 80s at least, was pulling in $4 million a year. Okay? He gets to live a luxurious lifestyle because he benefits from his lies. But if the disciples were lying about the resurrec resurrection, uh, they did not benefit from it. They didn't benefit at all. In fact, tradition tells us that most of them were killed for spreading the message that Jesus is risen. Eventually, uh, persecution resulted in most of their martyrdom. So the idea that the disciples stole the body, that has some serious problems with it. And this leads me to the third reason for believing in the resurrection, which is because the disciples resurrected. The disciples resurrected. Now, notice I put resurrected in quotes there, because I don't mean that literally, but I do mean it figuratively. In a very real sense, the disciples resurrected. 
because the disciples became extremely bold and brave people after whatever happened in 33 AD. Uh, despite persecution, persecution that for many of them ended in death, they boldly went into the world and spread the news that Jesus had risen. And really, it's because of their boldness and their bravery that we're sitting here this morning talking about this, right? The only reason that the gospel spread to the ends of the earth is because in the beginning, the original apostles went out and did the hard work of spreading it, even at great cost to their own lives. Um, but if the gospel accounts are, be, are to be believed, the disciples weren't always that way. They weren't always bold and brave. When Jesus was arrested, it says that they all fled, right? And even Peter, who was the most zealous of the disciples, denied that he even knew Jesus when Jesus was taken away to be crucified. So something happened that caused this dramatic transformation. And I don't think it was stealing a body. Right? That wouldn't affect that kind of incredible transformation. So we have to ask ourselves, what could possibly explain the disciples' change? What could possibly explain their resurrection? In other words, if Jesus didn't resurrect, why did the disciples resurrect? And that's a question that I've never heard a convincing answer for unless Jesus actually resurrected. All right, so the last reason that I want to mention for believing in the reality of the resurrection, number four, is because people experience his resurrection power today. Now, this reason is very different from the ones that we've talked about so far. Uh, all the other evidences we've talked about have to do with looking at the past, but this is about looking at the present. This is about looking at here and now. And I really do think that the greatest evidence for Jesus' resurrection is that he resurrects lives today. And of course, I'm talking, I'm talking figuratively, not literally, although there are some miraculous stories of that sort of thing happening. Um, but what I mean is that there are so many people all over the world from so many different backgrounds and cultures who credit Jesus with incredible transformation in their lives, right? People who were dead in drug and alcohol abuse, and Jesus resurrected them, right? People who were dead in terrible feelings of guilt and shame, and Jesus resurrected them. People who were uh, dead in a sense of hopelessness and meaninglessness and depression, and Jesus resurrected them, right? People who were dead in a lifestyle of violence and crime, people sentenced to prison for horrible things, Jesus resurrected them. People whose marriages were dead, Jesus resurrected their marriage. Like these stories are out there. There are so many people with so many stories of how their faith in Jesus helped them to move from a place of death to life. Uh, there's a song that I've been listening to a lot lately. It's a worship song, and there's a line in it that says, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. And that really is something that happens. It really is. The same power that resurrected Jesus works to resurrect our lives. And not just once, but daily. Now, if you're a skeptical person, you might wonder, why, why do so many religious people believe in something like the resurrection? 
especially when a lot of those people aren't able to articulate some of the things that I was talking about earlier, you know? They don't make kind of these rational, evidential arguments. Uh, you might think, what's wrong with these people? Do they just believe without any evidence? Well, no, it's not that they don't believe without, it's not that they believe without any evidence. It's not that they're stupid. It's that when the resurrected king resurrects you, that's the evidence that you need. And my prayer this Easter, for all of us, okay, regardless of where we stand in our faith, is that we would experience the resurrected king resurrecting us, and that we would be open to that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning uh, for each of us here that the reality of your resurrection would be something that uh, would be felt and experienced and believed. Lord, I pray that wherever we are, God, on that faith spectrum, uh, we would find ourselves encountering you. Um, God, I pray that if we are so close to taking that leap of faith, but we haven't quite gotten there, that we would choose to, to take it, Lord. And if we have already taken that leap of faith, Lord, I pray that we would know what it means to trust you more, uh, to, to, to uh, be called into a deeper relationship with you, Lord. I pray that the reality of you and your resurrection, God, would be something that is uh, experienced and felt every day of our lives. We thank you, Lord, and in Jesus' name, amen.